0: Mr. Connor is a registered representative and managing principal with Connor Wealth Management. Securities offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, member FINRA, CIPIC. Opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, its guests, and callers, and not those of WLVL, its management, staff, or sponsors. Nothing contained in this program should be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell a security, and if applicable, only after the prospectus has been read and understood by the customer. These decisions can only be made after consideration of an investor's investment objective and the investment suitability all right good morning everybody today is friday september 15th 2023 and i am privileged to be joined in studio this morning with mr eric connor from connor wealth management he is the president ceo and chief bottle washer over there at 5860 snyder drive here in Blackport. and uh We're going to talk some things about finances today, we're going to talk some things about some fun, and we're going to talk about the market. But first, just tell me how you're doing today. It's a beautiful, glorious day. I I stepped outside several times during the commercial breaks and just went,
1: I'm in heaven. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. You know, you get rid of the, sort of the humidity of summer, and you get to uh, just have these beautiful, sunny mornings, a little crispness in the air. Not enough that you're worried about scraping a window or frost warnings or anything like that. Great time of year. The leaves haven't started polluting your yard or your gutters yet. Um, you know, you still have a hope of pulling a couple things out of the vegetable garden or something like that. Uh, yeah, and football's back, even though it didn't work out on Monday night for the Bills. What in happened there? Oh, what... uh, yeah. Ba- sh- bad Josh. Bad Josh showed up. They should have won that game. That's um, that's a that's a tough way to watch it, right? Like, yeah. You, you get to the end and you just say, geez, if we didn't make those mistakes, we could have won by two touchdowns yes you know but yeah you make bad throws and create those interceptions and fumble a ball and can't cover a punt rookie mistakes next thing you know you're at the wrong end of that outcome but agreed um maybe it's maybe it's something about the stadium because the night before the giants lost 40 to nothing against dallas oh that hurts (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that hurts. That's
0: going to leave a mark.
1: Yeah. No question yeah. about that. Oh, ouch. But we get a chance to read at Redemption Sunday, right? Yeah, we'll see how it goes against the Raiders at home. The weather looks good. Um, you know, the one big challenge for uh, Buffalo is, well, maybe I should say two big challenges. Um, Steph Diggs is a fantastic wide receiver, and they don't really have a number two uh, week to week, so that's really challenging. And then... Uh, when we play against really good defensive linemen, our offensive line has trouble with that. And uh, the Raiders have a guy named Max Crosby, who uh, probably will be saying hello to Josh Allen in the backfield a couple times. Oh, boy. Uh, hopefully he uh, just pats him on the head and says, nice throw, instead of, you know, can I help you up off the ground? Uh, but. Uh, yeah, we, we have a little bit of trouble on the offensive line as well, so. Mm, yeah, I
0: well, would we'll be waiting with bated breath. Yeah. Since I have been deemed the WLVL sports director, I should probably at least see who won the game Sunday night or Monday morning.
1: Well, there you go. Yeah, I do, I would expect that we win, uh, and if we don't and end up at 0 and 2, then there will be lots of, Hand wringing and gnashing of teeth, and quickly talking about firing the coach and trading Josh, oh, and you know all every nonsense. Oh, that knee jerk stuff. Yes,
0: exactly. Knee jerk right. reaction. This nonsense. Yeah. Well, speaking of winning, I I think did we dodge the bullet with that hurricane that was coming up the East Coast?
1: Yeah. So uh, interesting that you say that because I thought we were a hundred percent in the clear, and it turns out. Uh, that there's going to be some problems up in Maine and possibly some wave damage for Massachusetts, and really? so Maine has an actual hurricane warning. Ooh, it's past I, the, I never quite remember the difference the, between warnings watch, and watches. Watch the warning, yeah. Yeah, uh, so they're expecting waves between. I think like 17 and 20 feet. Wow. So they're worried about that kind of damage. They should be worried. Yeah. yeah. It's not so much a direct hit with wind and rain. It is it's really that erosion and capsizing of boats and and that sort of damage. Um, From a a economy standpoint, it looks like we're not going to be deeply affected. Uh, But for obviously anyone in that zone. uh, They don't care about the economy. They care about their property. Right. Well, I have a buddy
0: in Maine that usually listens. So, Tom, if you're listening, give us a call. Give us an update on the spot. Yeah, Tom from... I think he's from Maine. Yeah. Okay. And he listens to Tradio. He he just... He takes WLVL for some reason. Awesome. com is a is a great venue to do that. And speaking of com, if you have ever missed any of these programs with Mr. Connor, just go to WLVL.com, hit the podcast button, choose your program, choose your date, and it goes way, way back to a long time ago so you can get educated because that's what Mr. Connor does is he educates us and lets us know what our options are. He doesn't tell you. Uh, what to think. He tries to help you on how to think and how to approach these uh, financial decisions that you need to make to make sure that you have really good financial health. Now, if you'd like to join the conversation, ask questions, make commentaries, we are always open to that at four three three one four three three. And if you would like to have a consultation with him in his office, you can call his uh, office at four three nine one one four three. But for now, just call the station. And we'll talk to you right here, four three three fourteen thirty three. So now we got hurricanes out of the way. Do we want to talk about auto strikes? We can. Or do you want to talk about something else?
1: Well no, we can, we can we can go right into it. That's right and I'm eating it's potatoes and what's going a, on. It's news of the day, right? It this, is, yes. This uh Targeted strike by the UAW against all three uh, domestic automakers, I guess would be the the way to say it. So GM, Ford, and Stellantis, for all of us that remember Chrysler. Right. Now it's Stellantis. Who who owns that company? Is that the Germans? Uh, So Stellantis is the transition away from when... Was it Mercedes Benz had actually owned Chrysler for a while? Was it Fiat? Mercedes
0: Benz. And so yes.
1: Stellantis is a conglomerate. And yeah, I th- believe that Fiat, and I want to say maybe Peugeot, okay. is involved there. I might be mixing the wrong brands. I won't hold it to you. But no. for us in America, we only just know, you know Dodge, Chrysler, that right. sort of right. production. So, but I the international component exists and that's why it's got such a interesting right. race. But for name brand recognition it's Stellantis. Yeah, right. Okay. Couldn't spell it. Right. Can so hardly now, say it. But. This is
0: the first time in history all three have done it simultaneously, isn't it? So this is kind of a history making thing?
1: Yeah, I think it's actually, you know, it, You can be pro-union or anti-union. But I I would say as a maneuver for the UAW, uh, I give them credit because you probably do get a lot more attention when you're doing a simultaneous strike against all three. You probably end up with a little more um, advantage on your side. So interesting, though, that as of right now, they're only striking in limited form and i believe the quantity is only at three plants in the country and um you know it's sort of like knocking on the door to try to get attention right they're they're gonna they're gonna walk off and they're gonna limit that production affect that production in those spots and we know how different plants do different things whether it's engines or body parts or uh, transmission work um obviously we've got the the knowledge of air conditioning and radiator work here in lockport so as you shut down one factory it eventually creates bottlenecks everywhere else That's right. you know kind of spider webs out to the to the rest of the company so in theory they don't need to strike everywhere because just doing it in one spot will raise enough trouble it'll shut
0: it'll shut things down eventually yeah because you don't need tires if you can't get the axle in there or whatever correct correct
1: right you can't build a car if you can't even throw the uh the engine in it or or whatever part it would be pick your part that's right and it it takes
0: the local economy takes a hit too because all the ancillary businesses around there you know the sub shops the gas stations um just everything around the plant people did do their habitary things every day correct that is a huge huge part of the local economy wherever the plant is, and so that's that's going to take a hit too and that's a that's kinda, you know, it, it's kind of you it's not good for the local businesses but
1: correct then the number I heard uh thrown around is that those workers will have um, uh, i I don't know the right term but the the payment that comes from the union uh strike benefit i let's just say. Uh, I believe it's going to be around 500 a week, which, you know, is definitely less than what you're making on an ordinary basis as an auto worker in those plants. Right. So yeah, and, and that's to the point of what you just said. If you have less money in your pocket you 're spending less money in your community absolutely
0: yeah. you 're not driving well maybe we were driving there to be on the picket line or something i don 't know, but uh, but not as much right overall yeah. you know, right, yes.
1: it 'll immediately affect your behavior so then the uh the interesting thing to point out is you know this news and it 's never happened and so when I work up my wonderful desktop computer or laptop computer here, and i Check the price of General Motors this morning. What's the news? Yeah, it's up sixty cents. How does that happen? We don't know, do we? No, nah, you know, it's. It, it, I think sometimes the opposite of what you think should happen is what happens, and you just struggle at figuring out why that is. Right? And my guess is it simply the idea that the strike could have been worse on day one. It could have been a complete walkout, a complete shutdown. So maybe maybe that fact that it's not Armageddon today on day one is enough to have the stock up a little bit today.
0: Alright, so it shows a little bit of confidence and optimism Yeah. for uh, maybe it's not going to be as horrible as, right. as we think it's going to be. Might not
1: be as bad, might not last as long. Now, I'll just say sort of if you take that into the future and in a week or two weeks or three weeks the strike has continued and let's say it's expanded to other plants uh, i would be pretty darn sure that the stock is no longer up 60 cents at that Uh, point indeed (laughs) we, we have a caller let's see what's going on here okay great Good morning, caller. You are on WLVL with
0: Mr. Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. What is your uh, thought? Con- uh, your question.
2: Oh, hello, Eric.
0: Hi there. Hey, uh, what's going on, man?
2: Would Mr. Connor be able to explain the New York State estate tax? At least an overview of how it works.
1: <laughs> wow. Uh, I could not do it well off the top of my head. Um, I the the tidbit that you can dig into is the fact that the estate tax does not match up with the federal estate tax. So uh, federally, you can die with about, I'll just round it off and say $12 million of assets per person. Uh, it's, it's a little less than that. I do believe, uh, the New York state number is less than that. It's not small, but it is not equal to the federal number. Um,
2: are you familiar with what they call the cliff?
1: Uh, that's probably actually the point that I'm, I'm making. If I go, if you have, if you want to point out a, Part to that, go well, right ahead. But I, I think, think that's the part I'm talking about. Is that you get to a spot where it doesn't match up on a federal basis, but all of a sudden it's kicked in on a New York state basis.
2: Well, I understood the threshold was about six point five million, and if you cross the threshold, you pay the tax on the entire amount.
1: Oh, okay. That that's the side you mean? Yeah. So the uh, so state by state. They have all the ability to do, uh, to create those rules as they want. And on a federal level, what happens is you have an exemption up to the large amount. And so to your point, anything above that amount is all you're being taxed on. You're not being taxed on eight million or nine million. You're only being taxed on the amount over the exemption amount. Uh, if New York states, Not doing that, then, yeah, that's fairly punitive. What I would suggest, uh, so estate planning is a tricky thing because to make the proper maneuvering, you're going to need attorney work. And there's a fine line about always saying, do not practice legal work if you're not an attorney. So uh, I'm happy to work with someone and their attorney on that, and, of course, sometimes that involves uh, re-registering, or gifting, or transferring uh, into either a trust or or a, a different vehicle, um, but yeah, we we've got a pretty strong rule where we leave we yeah. leave the legal work to the to the lawyers.
2: Okay, I see your point there. Well, thank you for uh, your explanation.
1: Thank you. Hope I could help a little bit there. That's a that's a tough question. Yeah, but it's a good one. It is. It is. Um, right. So uh, let me just throw out sort of a, a an additional point uh, on the estate side of things. Those laws, both on a federal and a state level, or state by state level, they do change over time. So in the last... Uh, call it 22 years. I think 2001 was the uh, first major change in quite a long time. Uh, There have now been four significant updates or changes to those rules and laws and dollar amounts on a federal level over the last 22 years. So if it's been a very long time, and uh since you've had something created and if you've acquired a large amount of wealth um either because of sheer luck like the lottery or some inheritance of your own or a successful business uh you will want to reinvestigate that um planning that you've done in years past um it's worth a little bit of time with an attorney to have them examine what you've done, what you've set up in the past, and just make sure that any of those prior decisions don't conflict adversely, right? They, that they're not a decision you made 10 or 12 years ago, that today you would never make that decision. You wouldn't need to make that decision because of the changes. I would say it's always worth the effort and the, the smaller kind of expense to have an attorney give a look um, at your documents, at 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 the decisions that you've made in the past, it's a helpful thing uh, because the dollar amounts on those estate exemptions used to be very modest, very modest, and so people had developed uh, estate plans where you would have these fairly complicated dual trust setups that would get created to avoid additional taxation and look in the 90s um you would be making that kind of planning if your assets were in the 600 his 600,000 and up range well now you don't even need to be bothered until you're at you don't even really need to think about it until you're in the 10 million dollar range Per person. <laughs> That's a so it's a dramatically higher number today compared to say 25 years ago. Um, so if it's been a very long time, yeah, it, you, you'll want to reexamine that and just, just have, again, just have a second opinion or a third opinion and make sure it's up to snuff. Cause the old decisions worked well at the time, but probably are not necessary today.
2: Well, thank
1: you for that good advice, sir. You're welcome. Good to talk to you. We have another call coming in. Let's see what's going on here.
0: uh Uh-oh. Good. Oh, boy. They hung up or I hung up on them. Not Mm. sure which. But they can call back at 433-143. That was a really interesting question, but it it, it does deal with substantial amounts of money as far as where that goes, right? Because I remember I had an inheritance one time that was under a hundred thousand dollars and there was no tax on that
1: yeah so there's so there's two different things and and uh, uh, w- one is about the actual estate tax that exists and that's for the person that died what does that estate possibly owe to the government there's a secondary issue that occurs and that's like when you inherit an IRA or you inherit an annuity, you as the beneficiary, you are sort of inheriting a tax problem. And that is not estate tax. What those situations are, it, the fancy term is it's income in respect of a decedent, right? So if someone had pre tax dollars or untaxed dollars in a retirement account or in an annuity, and you inherit it, well, when you get to spend it, you are going to be on the hook for the income tax that's owed it's not a state tax right. it's simply that somebody was going to pay that income tax when it got spent the original person passed away obviously they're not getting taxed right so you are in- the you know you're the beneficiary and you're the one that gets to spend that money so you're the one that gets that tax bill it is not an estate tax right. though you just inherit their agreements. Correct. Correct. And and over the years, I've definitely had clients or people that just wanted to talk to me about the situation that weren't clients, and they would sort of uh, feel like they were getting cheated on an estate tax issue. And I would always, I'm always sort of trying to reinforce, like, no, it's not estate tax. You're not. You're not getting taxed because of an estate size issue. It's an income tax issue. Someone had deferred taxes and it was either going to be them in their lifetime or now you as the beneficiary. But that's not, it's a different category. You know, ultimately they just didn't want to pay any tax. And, and so that's, right. that's sort of where the, so they were just mad. Yeah. It's sort of where the irritation comes yeah. from, but. But it's definitely there is a difference, right? Like sure. estate tax is not the same as income tax, and if I just jokingly said it's not the same as sales tax, right? And someone right. go, well, of course it's not sales tax. Well, yeah, it's also not right. estate tax.
0: There's, that, there's how many different kinds of taxes in the United States? Like five thousand or something? <laughs> right. I mean, they, right. they tax the area you breathe pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, it it, it it makes perfectly good sense to me. It's very clear. You just inherit their issues, so you could inherit their debts as well if they owe the government money, it's like uh, back taxes on the house or something like that. Are they gonna? You are gonna have to pay their uh, back taxes.
1: So back taxes on a house uh, that would be a problem uh, because you would have to clear that debt before you could, uh, like if you think of selling it, you would not be able to transition that house to someone else until you pay the back ta- the owed taxes on that house.
0: Oh, that could be sticky, huh? So
1: it'd come out of the proceeds. Now, the bigger problem is if you're inheriting that house and your intention is to stay there, yes, you still need to clear up those back taxes. So if your intention is to stay there, you may not actually have the money in your pocket clear up those back taxes. Right, and
0: that's why they call it property tax, not person tax. Yeah. Because it's a yeah. tax on the property regardless Correct. of whose Correct. name is on the deal. It's sort
1: of like having, uh, you know, if you owed money on a car, right? There's a lien on the title of the car. Right. You can't just sell it to someone else and not pay off the car loan, uh, or at least you can't do it legally. <laughs> Let's I jokingly say that. I know nothing. Yeah. A <laughs> well, uh, uh Hogan's Heroes. Yes. Colonel Clink, I believe.
0: Sergeant Schultz. Sergeant Schultz. Yes, for two candy bars, he really knows nothing. But while we're taking a little breather here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. Uh, he is located at 5860 Snyder Drive here in the city of Lockport. And if you would like to have a consultation with him concerning your financial wealth and health, his office number is 439-1143. That's 439 439- one, one, four, three. He'll be happy to sit down and have a consultation with you and uh, see where your financial wealth and health is at. But until then, we're here in studio. We are live on the radio. You can feel free to call us at 433-1433. Join the conversation. Ask your questions. Make your comments. It's all good here on WLVL 1340 AM, streaming worldwide at WLVL.com. So we were talking about the uh, uh, strike and what the local economy was going to be like now and if they do go nationals, what do you think i don't give do ideas yeah is, sort of is how it does too it, soon?
1: how does it play out uh i think i think a large strike is sort of like um the the discussions of like government shutdowns or when a hurricane does blow through and make landfall um it's overstated from a national economy standpoint um, that the ramifications can be very problematic for the company itself um, you know obviously if you can't produce cars you can't create that revenue but you still got a whole lot of expenses so that's a problem because you're not going to be profitable in that way uh, but from a national perspective I think the The ramifications would be pretty muted Uh, in a uh, sort of – if you're in the need for a car and the car you wanted didn't exist, you only have so many options. And so you might just transition and buy a Toyota or a Honda or whatever. Uh, You might – Find a used vehicle instead of brand new. Or you might figure out how to just fix your car and keep it going. And so those ramifications in that regard, right, that affects the company. But does it affect the economy as a whole? I think it's fairly limited over time. Now, of course, if you're getting to the point where, uh, and I'll just use really big numbers, you know, let's say, that it's 50,000 people that eventually go out on strike. That is a lot of lost income for those people. So, uh, you know, you're always on the lookout for that. All right, we have a caller. Let's see what's going on here.
0: Good morning, caller. You are on the air with Mr. Eric Connor. What is your thought or uh,
3: question? Okay, we're talking about the economy with this strike situation. One of the requests, and I pray to God they don't get it, is a 32-hour work week. Now, that means 20% of production would go down immediately by eliminating one day. So they would have to pay overtime, which increased the cost of everything to get the production level back to where it was or hire more people. And right now, nobody wants to work. So you're going to take your production, reduce it by 20%, and have um, nobody to hire to replace those hours to keep our economy going forward, and that's going to create a nothing um, where everybody else is going to expect the same thing, a 32-hour work week, which is really going to destroy the economy as far as my, my concerns are.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting, um, I'll say, grab bag of, of uh Asks that, the, that the union is putting out there, and the 32 hour work week is one of the most interesting ones. Um, and I would tend to agree and say you only have two, if it were granted, you only have two outcomes. One is that you would end up with a lot more overtime hours, which is exceedingly expensive for a company, or you just hire more people. Well, if it was easy as just hiring more people, they'd probably be working on doing that to begin with uh, and they wouldn't quite have the scenario play out. So um, the one sort of interesting thing that, uh, that I've heard about this targeted strike is the one plant that one of the plants that's involved is a three shift a day plant five days a week. So if you think of how do you cut that down to 32 hours a week I guess the one way to be the one way to think of it is: Would you actually somehow create four shifts a day? Right? You would you totally change over how that factory day in day out is actually managed? And I think that's pretty impossible. It's pretty impossible to have it set up like that. So uh, I think as a goal. I understand that they're going to try to say, well, we want 32 hours a week. I think the reality is, on a manufacturing basis, when it comes to automobiles and, and the hundred years of infrastructure, of how they get created and moved, I don't know how they could ever have, I don't know how the car companies could ever successfully transition to 32 hours in that way, unless you really do end up in a time where you just have, Many, many, many more p- available workers, and to your point as the caller, I don't think you have them. They don't. They just don't exist right now. Um, so I think that'll fall by the wayside. I think at the end of the day, what they'll really want is increases in starting pay. They want to get rid of some of the tiered system. They want an improvement on some of their healthcare benefits. Uh, Because that has been one of the big problems in prior contract negotiations. That they have definitely given up some uh, some perks in that way. And I I just can't imagine how they get to thirty two hours. I you know jokingly, my business could do it. I've said in the past, the stock market's open five days a week. We could do just as much business in four days. People would transition. They'd figure out how to trade stocks in four days instead of five. But in terms of manufacturing and the way it has happened and is established, I just don't see it as a viable alternative for them right now. So, yeah, I'm in agreement where I don't I don't think it's very realistic, and I, I think it's doubly tough it from the perspective of where would you find the workers right so they they want a tremendous pay increase within the the term of the contract more power to them if they get it uh they want their benefits more power to them if they get it but i don't i don't quite i can't in my head figure out how they would be able to transition down to 32 hours yeah that's a great great call thank you so much for calling we have another caller coming in
0: and we're going to do that. Good morning, caller. You are on W W L with Eric Conner, Conner Wealth Management. What is your question, thought, or comments?
4: Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Hi, Steve. Steve Here. I just wanted to mention, I think one of the things that's uh, concerning this uh, UAW situation and the companies is the fact that I believe it was disclosed in person with meetings with this administration and, and uh, with many experts in the industry, the big push here to go to uh, the electric vehicles, It's pretty much well known that uh, they're only going to need about 60 percent of the workforce that they currently have to produce them as they switch over. So I think that uh, that's being intentionally omitted from uh, the media, like so many other things. But this uh, this president and the administration, a lot of them, they uh, they took the donations and they supported uh, these people, but now it's kind of, to me, it looks like they're kind of backdooring them because uh, that's not being disclosed that uh, awful lot of these people with what's being uh, pushed forward as far as switching to electric are, are not going to have uh, permanent jobs in the future. So I think this might be kind of a last hurrah to try to get as much as they can. It's just my opinion.
1: Uh, it It could be. Uh, I hadn't given a ton of thought to the, uh, the idea of those, uh, uh, the transitional job losses into the future, but some of it makes sense, for, uh, if you think of, like, sort of, uh, I'll use the phrase nuts and bolts. An electric vehicle doesn't have a muffler. And for all the people that are employed making mufflers, <laughs> right <laughs> your your future your future uh production is going to end up uh being impacted right there 's going to be gas cars and trucks on the road for a very long time. but if year by year we have an ever increasing amount of electric vehicles, then that that muffler work shall you say will just continue to go down and down and down. There are obviously other car parts that are in that same exact mode where some of them just don't exist on an electric vehicle. And it'll be interesting uh, sort of how does any company, not specifically GM or Ford or any of them, but when you're able to eventually create a vehicle uh, or a, a product... As you've differentiated those parts, sort of by default, someone's going to transition out of the job, and uh, you know you think here in the radio station, this place used to have uh, vacuum tubes helping run the show, and now it's you know digital boards and and it's a it's different, right? The skills are different, the the duties are different. Once once that transition happens. Um, So it'll be interesting to find out, uh, as the caller points out, it'll be interesting to find out if the uh, part of the arguments in here Mm -hmm. are protection over quantity of jobs versus just the pay and benefits of the jobs. Right. We have another call. Can you believe this?
5: Holy smokes.
0: Good morning. Caller, you are on WLVR with Eric Conner. What is your question, comment, or thought?
5: I guess this must be let's talk to Eric day. Uh, it is. Eric squared. <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess an interesting subject came up. So uh, the uh, union talks about, uh, oh, the obscene uh, salaries of the uh, executives. And I agree. It's a lot of sports figures and these corporate executives, their salaries are crazy. And they talk about all the money going to uh, stockholders and, and, and so on. But, you know, <clears throat> I have shares of Ford. Uh, they pay a dividend like 15 cents a uh, quarter. Uh, no one's getting rich off that. Um, they reduce it a few times. Um, people who bought stock shares go up, shares go down. When the share, uh, the value of the shares go down, do the workers take pay cuts? No. See, so I mean, you if you, if you invest in something, you are taking a risk and, uh, so you deserve some, some kind of return. Uh, but they also want to look at, at what everybody's getting and don't figure the risk that people take. Or in the executives, uh, they aren't being paid for nothing. I mean, they, they, they their, their, job isn't the easiest, although they maybe shouldn't be getting all that they're getting. But, uh, uh the, again, they, they look at just one side. Uh, workers don't ever take a cut if, if things go badly, uh, I remember when American Motors was in business, um, the big three finally settled on contracts and they wanted American Motors workers to had the very same contract. Well, American Motors was losing money, but they didn't you know they didn't want to look at that side so that, that's my comment
0: you know these are all valid uh, valid observations
1: yeah it's it there's always uh, the the uh, what point of view. Right. are you coming from right? If you're the worker, you want to maximize your income, your benefits and your job protection If of you're course. the if you're the corporation I mean the actual corporation, your job right. is to keep those salaries and benefits as low as possible to so that your income can be good and and the company can be profitable and then the shareholders, well, you know, kind of my life, right? The shareholders are trying to make educated decisions on whether those earnings are going to grow over time, shrink over time. Can I count on the dividend? Is the dividend going to grow or is it going to be cut entirely? As the caller said, uh, the auto companies have repeatedly over the years when times are tough, cut or eliminated their dividend for a time period. And so those three areas definitely do not agree on what the right direction is and so it's sort of the nature of the discussion to have to have the different viewpoints um, it's also why you often can't get to an agreement until you're pushed into a corner right so in the idea in this idea they knew when the contract was expiring but they're not coming to an actual conclusion until there's now a partial strike and maybe a, there'll be a bigger strike. And then eventually they'll come to some sort of agreement that they view as good for each of the two parties. But I'll point out in there, the shareholders are always the ones on the outside with very, very little uh, to say, even though they are the actual owners of the company. So it's always a, a very strange blend of points of view and, and, uh, who's got the position of strength or who's got, uh, there isn't really a moral high ground. Because <laughs> everyone's, everyone's out for themselves in that regard. Um, but, but there's always an interesting, uh confluence of where do those points of view eventually come together for a for a decision and i'll just make a non auto worker comment uh or non auto industry comment years ago caterpillar and i believe it was in illinois they had a strike situation that went on forever i want to say i want to say it was like multiple years, like three or four years where they would not create a new agreement with the workers at that, at the plant that was involved. And, um, they found a way to keep production up, but it was a real, real, real problem for them for a long time. And it created a lot of bitter feelings. Um, and I'm not, I'm no expert. I'm just sort of pulling this out of the memory banks. Um, I can't imagine that, on an auto industry basis, this would go on for too terribly long. But I would also say it's not going to be over. It's not going to be over by Sunday. <laughs> it'll it'll take longer than that.
5: Yeah, that was a good observation, Eric. Uh, and the shareholders, we are in quotes, the owners, but yep. so we don't have
1: <laughs> don't have any say,
5: really. that, That's
1: right, and that's the thing, yeah. right? Like it's that third party. They're the actual owners, but they're not at that bargaining table. They don't get. There's nothing they're voting on. Uh, you know, you could use the, the phrase "innocent bystander," but uh, you know, it's not quite that. But they've got a lot of skin in the game as as the actual owners of the company. But they're not negotiating, um, and you just have to take it as is. And your only option, if you don't like what's happening or what's what you think is going to happen. Is you know you're free to sell your shares anytime and move on to another company, but you know you you it's a it's hard uh it's hard to process information when you're not getting all the information right. It's hard to get to a conclusion you're satisfied with when you know you don't have all the information to help get you to that decision.
5: So, all all right. right. Yeah. Well, thank you for your comments.
1: Thanks for the call. All right. Okay. Well, this is a really
5: uh.
0: You know, it's such a hotbed subject because, you know, we're a blue collar town. Yeah, exactly right. Poor. And, uh, boy, it's, uh, you know, I, in, in an effort to remain neutral, I can see some things, you know, like, but 40%, I, I'm guessing they're just going to ask for way more than what they really want in hopes to get something that they kind of do want. You know, 40, was it yeah. 30, 38% increase in wages, 20% decrease in hours. So maybe they want, 10 or 15% increase. I mean, they were offered what, 20% by Ford
1: and
0: 18% by Chrysler or something like that.
1: As as a non expert in industrial relations, what I would suspect the unions across the board really want are consistent, within their contract term, they want consistent steps higher in pay. They don't want to fight for every nickel. Year by year, they probably want to know that there's some consistency to that pay increase with the idea that inflation goes up every year. And right. so you want that pay increase to come along, right? And so the more successful they are with the pay increase, the better they'll feel about the outcome. Right. But yes, it would seem that a goal of a 40% pay increase, it would seem to be unattainable. I would
0: agree. You know, one thing I do agree with them on though is when they have the new hires, they don't have 401ks, they don't have insurance. Uh, you could go work, I mean, what are they paying? $16, $17 for a new hire? You could go to Taco Bell and make $18 an hour if you don't want benefits or insurance. Yep. And the, you know, that, that does uh, kind of scratch at me. Cause, yeah. You know, it's been our tradition, like you said, the automobile tradition for a hundred years is these are good, solid, blue, Collar jobs, and you have a retirement. You have your family insured, and that just seems to me is that is the ethical thing to do. Because, but, but then again, what are we paying sixty, seventy thousand dollars for a car now?
5: For
1: yeah, the the average car payment is well above five hundred dollars a month now. Right, and that, and they're going on eight year loans now, nine year loans.
0: I mean, come on, the car is going to be rotting in the junkyard, and you're still going to owe five thousand dollars on it. Yeah. Yeah. and then you just buy another car add that debt on top of it
1: oh I, yeah that that that's oh that's that, always a doozy that that's a that's an upside down pyramid uh, that you just layer on more loan on top of more loan and it gets bigger and all of a sudden uh y- you think you've got a car and like no you just have a big ball of debt that's right you know there's there's no equity in the vehicle you you owe more than it's worth the day it got bought i've had some conversations with people over time and I've tried to explain to them just how dangerous that is Mm -hmm. because it even comes down to a point where if something were to happen with your credit worthiness you wouldn't even be able to transition into a new a next vehicle potentially right right? so make up the number however you want it doesn't need to be big say you owe $20,000 and not that this isn't a big number but it's not a brand new price so say you owe twenty thousand dollars and your car is only worth ten thousand and you want to go and transition into a different vehicle i won't even use the phrase a new vehicle just a different vehicle if your credit worthiness went down the tubes because of job loss or or something else uh you've got no equity in that vehicle you may not be able to transition out out of it at all so
0: yeah, very. It can be, be
1: very, very problematic.
0: Upside down, no matter how you look at it. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Because of a devaluation.
1: Holy so, smokes! Hmm. Great calls. I, yes, I'm glad. Uh, it, it's an interesting topic, as you said. We're a blue collar town, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, and I want to credit everyone with like having a, a nice, thoughtful way of asking the questions. And agreed. And. Uh, uh, Understanding that, yeah, there there really are different viewpoints um, depending on what part of that discussion you're coming from. So we'll see how it gets resolved. Again, I don't I don't imagine it gets resolved very fast, but I don't also don't think it's m- magically going to be um, a four week or six week or eight week problem. I don't have much of a crystal ball in this regard, but it's not in any of anyone's interest to have a massive shutdown right. and a massive strike. Agreed. No one no one comes out ahead in that way. That's so right.
0: everybody loses. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we'll see how it it uh, uh, you know sort of behaves over the next week or two weeks and uh we will talk about it at the beginning of October when I'm back.
0: All right. Well, I look forward to that conversation. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the end of the show. We appreciate you listening to us here on WLVR. Eric Conner, you can call his office at 439 439- 1143 that's 4391143 make an appointment with them get a consultation and make sure that your financial health is your financial wealth we'll see you next time